Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your host, Joe Rowles. Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I am Joe Rowles, and today... So today's guest is a little bit overdue because I've been meaning to talk to Zach Hicks for a while. And up until now, circumstances just kind of created this. It's like the Broncos don't play the Colts. Um, and Zach, so anyway, Zach is the lead analyst for Sports Illustrated's Colts coverage and kind of the one Colts analyst I trust when I'm looking for a good, bad, and ugly out of Indianapolis. <laughs> um, and he has now kind of moved to also doing film analysis for Mile High Huddle. And he also does a good bit of stuff for Cover One, so thanks for finally joining me. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, fun to kind of be get dipping my toes in the water a little bit with Broncos coverage. I'm seeing a little bit how your guys' uh, media and fan base and overall team is, and it's it's fun. It's something different from the Colts. I've been kind of just deep in Colts coverage for the last three years and, and kind of being in with a different team now, like even if it's just a little bit, it's kind of fun to, to kind of see it. So the number one most pressing thing I have to ask you about, and, and you know, you wouldn't be a Broncos analyst if you didn't have an opinion on it. <laughs> what do you think about Pat Shermer and Drew Locke's blow up from like seven days ago or six days ago? I mean, my God, I'm so concerned. Is this the, um, where they pulled him out for like one play or yeah. something? Yeah. I, I, I'm not going to like, I, I think, I think it was, I think it was a play. I I'm going to be honest. I saw it. I did. And again, like I did think the way Shermer talked about it yesterday did kind of feel like they were trying to downplay something that happened, but I also don't care. Um, I also think like it's football, some, something like if, if it is something as benign as a miscommunication because of a headset, sometimes people get heated because they're in the moment. Like who gives a shit? Like let's yeah. move on to the Seahawks. That's where I'm at. Yeah, or even if it – say Drew Locke just made a completely dumbass play. Like, and that's what it was. He pulled him over just to yell at him for a second while he put Bridgewater out there. So what? Who, like, who cares? Like, 
Like legit, it it doesn't matter. It's practice with a young quarterback. There's going to be mistakes made. So whether it's a headset malfunction or yelling at him for a stupid mistake, like it really doesn't matter. It's practice. That's what that's for. You'd rather that be in practice than be in a game. And I know you're not the biggest Drew Locke guy, but even the fact that, you know, you're not getting on Drew Locke about this just shows how stupid this is. Like, it's really just, just dumb. It is dumb. For me, like, and again, like, you're you're right in the fact that, like, I'm not, like, out in the streets telling everybody that Drew Locke's going to be a, you know, Hall of Fame yeah. quarterback. My whole thing is, though, like, I'm not opposed to Drew Locke as a player, like, in this way. And I also, the big thing I'm opposed to is stupid drama that just misleads fans and, like, turns yeah. us into TMZ. And that's what this whole thing feels like it's becoming. And it's just, again, there, there are a hundred storylines I care about more than this. So yeah, well, you're, you're a nerd like me though. You and I are more concerned with like a four string safety battle than we are about like the quarterback battle. (laughs) (laughs) I care, I, I care about more who's going to be the fourth or fifth edge rusher on, on, on defense rather than the, the court, you know, who's going to be the starting quarterback. Like that's, you and I are kind of nerds like that. I've always kind of known that about you. You're you have that nerd mentality like I do with that, where it's like not the the only like you know radio guys and like big media guys. They just focus on the story sellers, right? Yep. Where I'll, I'll write so many articles on like who will win the fourth string running back battle or something. A guy who's never gonna play come regular season because I just care about that stuff. I do too. Well, and the thing is like. And again, maybe, and again, you've gone through this too, but when it, when an injury happens, that guy does matter. We just don't care mm-hmm. about him until it happens. Yeah. And so you and I are the guys that are kind of out in front of it. Like, well, here's the thing. Like, let's say, you know, six weeks from now, the Broncos suffered five receiver injuries and all of a sudden they're stuck with whoever they pick up out of this, you know, this battle going on. Well, then we're going to be able to say like, look, I was paying attention to it. Then this is what we should expect. Yeah, here, here's my nine articles on Trinity Benson and why he's going to be amazing. <laughs> I don't know, and I'm sure this happens to you. It's always funny when, like, a guy – I wrote about Trinity Benson two years ago because, again, like, two years ago, he was an undrafted free agent trying to make the Broncos. After he had, a you know, a really good showing against the Vikings, somebody went back and liked a, a thing yeah. from two years ago, and I was like, it's cool that you, you took the effort to go find it because, like, honestly, like, he's a different player now than he was then anyway, but – I appreciate, you know, someone taking that kind of effort. Yeah, but- the, the more the more fun is when you write an article. Like this week, I wrote an article on, on Andrew Brown for the Colts, right? A guy who had a great preseason game, uh, has a chance of making the roster for the Colts. And UVA, you know, University of Virginia, because he came from Virginia in college, they all, like, their Twitter found it, and it's just, like, I'm getting retweets that. every single day just from UVA fans being like, yeah, he's, he's about that. He's the best. I'm like, well, he's almost like 16 in like three years, but still like, it's fine. It's fun. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> uh, so in your experiences, I have to ask, uh, kind of jumping into the pond with Broncos media now, uh, how, how, like any, any thoughts without putting you into, in a hot water, <laughs> uh, but it's you, you've kind of seen it from afar for a while. Cause you and I have been in touch for a long time. But now that you're kind of a part of it, like how how's that going? Yeah, you know, I, I haven't really interacted with too many. Uh, I've always That's seen smart, Albright. Smart. Yeah, I've seen Albright honestly for a while on the timeline on Twitter and stuff. I've seen uh, Mike Kliss, I think is his name. Is that how you say his name, Kliss? Yep. Um, for better or for worse, I've seen his stuff on there. Uh, but I've always interacted with well with you guys and obviously the guys who I work with now over at uh, Mile High Huddle. 
so I've always liked those two sites, you know, your guys' site and the site that I'm working with. Uh, so, I, yeah, I've, I've always kind of liked the Broncos. You know, there's no reason never to dislike the Broncos. And and the media guys that I followed out of that group have always been good. So maybe I'm just kind of being ignorant to the bigger media guys, which I'm fine with being. <laughs> I think you're taking the smart approach. Uh, yeah. I, I have gone the other way where I have a list of basically all the Broncos media people. Because then, like, during camp, like, this is why I do it. Because during camp, uh, I'll end up looking at that and that's how I kind of try and keep up with, you know, the reports coming out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm so immersed that like I get blind to a lot of other stuff going on. Like the debate going on right now about Lamar Jackson's contract. It feels like yeah. we've had this, con- it feels like we've had this talk for, for months, but like the fact that it's starting to heat up again today, it's just, it's interesting. Cause I, I come out of a meeting and all of a sudden I'm like, wait, we're talking about Lamar Jackson. Did they sign the contract? And I like, I'm looking to see if, you know, if I missed it, but yeah. Yeah. But, but no, uh, so for those listening, again, if you guys don't follow Zach on Twitter, go do it. He is at Zach with an H, Hicks2. Um, and again, like, you're one of the reasons that, like, I really wanted to talk to you, again, like, beyond the obvious, because I wanted to talk to you basically through the draft season, too. Um, but you broke down Drew Locke, uh, his mechanics, and I thought that might have been the best Drew Locke article I have read in a year. Um, so guys, if you have not read that, go read that. Um, but that, that, I I feel like that's probably a good place to start just because that is the big storyline coming out of last weekend. Uh, and again, like maybe this is me being a hater on one league. I'm not worried about KJ Hamler's touchdown so much. And maybe, maybe I'm misreading it, but I I got a lot of flack because I said it was an easy touchdown when it, when it happened. And again, for those listening, the reason I said that is because I thought play action suckered the safety. Dantzler was a little bit slow to get on Hamler and it made for an easy, an easy pass. Not to say that, you know, Drew Locke did anything bad, but I don't think he, I don't think that was his best play by any means. Yeah. Um, but what did you think of his overall performance? Yeah. Before we jump into that, I will say thank you for shouting out that article. Uh, one of the easiest and hardest articles to write because all 22 access was only available on my phone at that point. So I had to cut up my 10 to 15, clips I had of Drew Locke, convert them to Google Drive, then convert them back to my Capto thing or whatever and, and analog it from that way. So it's just super tedious. But when it came to the quotes and actual writing, it was very easy because I had all that from my Carson Wentz series. So yeah, definitely check that guy, that out, guys. Uh, a lot of really cool stuff on Drew Locke's mechanics. But yeah, you know, Drew Locke, I think for, for what, he, you know, he didn't really play too much in this past game. Uh, I wouldn't call it an outstanding game by any means, but I love to see what the Broncos were doing by getting him on the move, getting him in play action, getting him to where he's at best. Because last year, when I when I, I watched through, I think, every single throw from last season in preparation for that mechanics article, and he was really at his best when he was on the move, especially to his right. You know, he felt like he could really get his mechanics lined up and his body in sync, uh, and he seemed to be way more accurate just doing that than he was just being in the pocket. Uh, and I, I like that the Broncos are able to incorporate that. And also play action, it, it, it limits – kind of your reads as a quarterback you know if you're standing there in the pocket you have to look right look left look middle. you know that you have so many different reads you've got four or five options when it's play action is typically a lot more simplified you know it's more of a half field read and you'll get one two maybe three options on the play um, and if that first option's not there you know you're getting right down to that check down so it's it's a very simplified kind of way to play quarterback it's easier because the defense is sucked up to that run and you know drew lock is way more accurate outside the pocket so i liked what they did with him I like how he performed and 
And yeah, the Hamler touchdown was definitely a layup, uh, but it, he didn't miss the layup. So, I mean, that's, exactly. you know, you, you can't complain about that. It was a great, it was a good throw. Uh, Hamler was with a great route and play action obviously did its job. Uh, but yeah, I, I like what we, what we saw of Drew Locke. I thought he had a good game and, and hopefully kind of the, what we saw in that preseason game is kind of like a precursor towards the regular season where we're going to see some more play action. We're going to see even more uh, Drew Locke on the move and, and getting him to where he doesn't have to be a pocket passer because he's really not a pocket passer. Yep. And that's one of the things, and again, these are things that came off as controversial and that's partially my fault, probably the way I wrote it. But one of the big concerns I had about like the overreaction or the reaction to last week's game is the fact that we all kind of like seem to overlook the fact that the, the Vikings didn't play anybody. And again, like, yes, it's the preseason. Nobody's playing anybody yet. But the Broncos had probably as many as seven starters on their offense at, at points during that game. And definitely when Drew Locke was in. And the Vikings didn't have any of their defensive line in. And, and again, that's one matchup that I think matters a lot. Just because one of the big issues Locke's dealt with is pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, and you made note of that in your article um, and how it impacts it. And again, like this is... One of the things I really like that Drew Locke showed in that in this last game is setting the hallway. And that's something that, again, yep. you referenced that, honestly, I've stole since. And I do reference it back to your article. So, you know, I do like the TM. But, awesome, awesome. But, it, but it's, it, it's a, for those listening, if you haven't already, like, become, like, familiar with the term, it's, it's basically aligning your feet to help you throw more accurately. Um, and it's one of those things that Locke has struggled with basically dating back to Missouri. Like, it's been a yeah. constant issue. And he showed some improvement in that against the Vikings. But the problem is he wasn't under pressure. So mm-hmm. it's easier to keep your mechanics in line when you have time and you feel no pressure. Yeah, absolutely. And and I love what you mentioned about was setting the hallway. I guess from you know, for, for my Carson Wentz series and also the quotes I took for that Drew Locke series, I talked to so many quarterback experts around the league. You know, I talked to Gardner Minshew's personal trainer, I talked to Jordan Love's personal trainer, I talked to uh, Adam Dado, who is literally everyone's personal trainer across the league. Uh, and yeah, they, they've all mentioned that the two biggest issues when it comes to quarterbacks in the NFL, young, old, you know, whatever, is setting that hallway and sequencing, you know, the, the sequence that your body moves and being able to generate the most velocity, power and accuracy that you can. Uh, and hallway something, you know, it, it's it's fascinating when I was talking with uh, Dub Maddox about it's, it's actually an, like a, a brain issue, sort of. You know, if you're, if you're a right brain guy, it's harder for you to, to bring your left foot, your, you know, your front foot all the way out uh, if you're throwing to the left. Or if you're going to the right, your brain will tell you that you are properly aligned when you're not fully aligned yet, uh, when you're like not all the way out there yet. So it, it's kind of just you have, to, you have to work with these guys to kind of work against what their brain is telling you. So this, this issue that Drew Locke has with setting the hallway, it's not – innately it's not really his fault it's not something that's that's unique just to him having this issue uh but it is something that has to improve on so seeing him take those steps in that game you know on the deep throw to hamler he was properly aligned and that's why that ball wasn't too far to the left or too far to the right or an overthrow or anything like that he was properly sequenced properly aligned and it was a good accurate throw Uh, but like you said it really does come down to how they do it in pressure and and uh you know, big thing is just kind of speeding up that footwork, speeding up everything and just seeing how you operate from there. So we'll have to see how he operates when, when under more duress, uh, the Seahawks, if they even play some of their starters in this preseason game, or even do some of their defensive playbook, will show that pressure because they brought a lot of pressure last year. 
Um, and hopefully we can see a little bit of that kind of stuff. But if not, we'll see come regular season if, if Locke is the starter. Uh, but that that's really the biggest thing for him going forward is, you know, can you keep these mechanics? Can you keep your head up, you know, your head straight with while under pressure? And that's a big thing that a lot of young quarterbacks struggle with. Definitely. And, and I, and I want to say that that's also one of those things. And again, it's being underreported, I think, by a lot of the big media around Denver. Um, but the fact that Fangio is still basically saying like, it's even Steven. And part of that is coach speak. Like Fangio's not going to yeah. tip his hand until he makes a decision. But also if, if Locke and Bridgewater are both having dealing with more pressure in practice, Fangio is probably getting a different look at them than we saw against the Vikings. So if he ends up deciding that Bridgewater might be the better option, and again, I'm not here to say he's right or wrong, but that could be part of it. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, um, you're good. Yeah, no, it's 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 interesting because I was actually talking about this last night on a Vikings podcast because the Colts play the Vikings this upcoming week. Um, coaches are always kind of coaching for their life, you know. Like yep. we always talk about the average NFL player plays what, two or three years in the league, but the average NFL head coach lasts three to four years in the league, you know, if that. Uh, and I think what's really fascinating about this is there's obviously way more potential and more benefit to starting Drew Locke, yep. but there's also more risk with starting Drew Locke. A lot more risk. And, and Fangio, he knows this. I mean, he knows he's, he's, a, he's an excellent coach. I, I love, I love Fangio. I mean, I just want to preface and say that I, I think Fangio is a really good coach. Um, but he, he's smart, you know, you got to hedge your bets and, and Bridgewater is a guy who kind of will get you that Jeff Fisher like thing where you'll, you'll be able to survive as a head coach a little bit longer. So it, it really comes down to, are you willing to take that risk? And I think ultimately they will, I think they will go with Drew Locke. It, it does seem, you know, from, from the Broncos media, I follow, it seems like if they start to trend towards Drew Locke a little bit, it really does. but you know, it is a fascinating thing to even look at is with, with head coaches because, honestly, we can all say from sitting on our couch and watching the game, like, oh, yeah, go with the upside guy or go with go with the risk guy. It's like, yeah, but your job comes down to it. And, you know, it comes down to say say you're 10% sure Drew Locke is going to be decent, but you're 80% sure that Bridgewater will be serviceable. Like, and your job is on on the line for both of those. You know, it's 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 a very tough thing right there. Um so, yeah, I mean, the fact they're saying even Steven is probably a little bit of coach speak. It's probably leaning towards Drew Locke. But it, it definitely is a conversation he's having with himself and with the staff because, you know, again, your job is on the line. Uh, we, we can all say take those risks, but it ultimately comes down to the coach and his job that he's risking. One or the other – and, again, I don't want to, you know, get you stuck – like get us both stuck on quarterbacks the whole time. But, like, yeah. one of the other parts of it I think that's kind of important for the discussion today because, again, like this is going to come out, you know, sat, you know for the game – one of the things that kind of gets caught and I think a lot of fans, we don't, we don't dig into it. So it's hard to like, really like chew on this. The idea that Drew Locke has more upside. We, we, we take that you go and play Madden. You think it's assured because I, I turn on <laughs> Madden. If I throw for 50 touchdowns in a year, my 60 overall quarterback is going to be a 90 overall quarterback by the yeah. end. And it's easy. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to lie. I have a quarterback factory in Madden. Like I do that every single time I ever play it, but I mean, and again, like this isn't trying to harp on Drew Locke. I, I do think that based on what we know, he's probably the guy that should be the quarterback for the Broncos. But the fact that he has more upside, that that's not assured. Um, and stat, like looking at the historical numbers, looking at the issues he has and he's had for his career, there is a pretty good chance that he, the Broncos don't have next year's starting quarterback on their roster right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and even by saying... Drew Locke has more upside and there's better potential there. 
it doesn't mean that the, the like, you know, that it's a good chance of that happening. It's just, you know, personally for me, obviously, again, someone who just kind of sits, sits at home and watches and analyze this, I would take the shot on the same, you know, on the five or 10% chance that he could be a franchise quarterback because we know Teddy Bridgewater, Teddy Bridgewater isn't a franchise quarterback. We know that at this point, like Teddy Bridgewater knows that, you know, like everyone, everyone knows that, but Drew Locke, there's that five or 10% chance or whatever it may be. It's a, it's a small percent chance. I mean, we're, we're two years into his career and he hasn't played great football up to this point, even though we've seen good flashes. Uh, but the odds are when guys don't produce early, they don't produce really at all. Uh, but you know, with, with Drew Locke, there, there is that potential for him to be good. So you kind of, you know, again, for me, I think you have to roll with that, but I, I know there's people that are super optimistic and love him and stuff like that, but it is, it's, it's not a given for sure. It's, it's not something that's absolutely going to happen. There's going to be bumps along the road and you got to hope that the flashes kind of just override that. Uh, if you start them. I'm of the mindset that if they're as close as it seems like they are, you definitely take the chance in part because theoretically, if Drew Locke's going to start to put it together, it'll happen as you start to get close to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And if the Broncos are contending, you're going to want that quarterback to help you once you're playing against good teams each week, instead of just, you know, when you absolutely need him to that one every three, four weeks. Um, But again, like there's obviously a a lot of other storylines going on. So one of the other things I really wanted to ask you about, because you and I have nerded out about this a little bit is who else really stood out to you on the tape? Like, and again, I I am biased. I'll admit, like I loved Caden Stearns before that game. So when Caden Stearns looked good, I was over the moon. But to hear you say it really kind of gave, like it confirmed my priors. That was that was very good. But like, who else really jumped out to you? Oh man, I mean, I was again. I was talking about this on the Vikings podcast uh, yesterday. I was saying, man, I had like sixty players down for the Broncos that stood out because the Vikings were just getting thrashed so bad that every single player looked good. Uh, but yeah, Caden Stearns, I thought looked he looked big, he looked physical, he looked fast. I mean, maybe he's not one hundred percent there yet to be like a starter, but. Just watching him, I'm like, you got to give him some defensive snaps. Just, and again, this is my only exposure to him was this preseason game. So obviously, it's a bit of an overreaction. Uh, preseason doesn't matter that much. Uh, sticking in the safety group, PJ Locke, I think, had an excellent game. Uh, Vit, oh, what were you saying? No, one, one thing with PJ Locke, and again, like, I, I just want to get your thought on this because, like, it seems, again, the safety group is deep enough and the, the secondary is deep enough that, like, it's still not necessarily a sure thing that he has a job yet. Mm-hmm. But to me, and again, like, and, and like people have told me I'm overreacting. To me, if he plays like he did against the Vikings the rest of the preseason, if it's not the Broncos, someone else is going to pick him up. Oh, absolutely. I mean, even if even if he doesn't play, like, as long as he's not awful the rest of the preseason, someone else is going to pick him up. I mean, when you watch that game, he made almost every – I think he missed one tackle in space against Kellen Mond. But besides that, uh, he was their most consistent tackler. Uh, in coverage, he made two amazing plays. That play on the goal line – is something that is so hard to teach a young defensive back. Like I was hyping on this in my article I wrote on him, but like young defensive backs always panic. <laughs> it's, it's a thing. They always panic when they're beat. And Locke was beat on that play. Uh, the, the tight end got the outside leverage. Uh, he obviously had, he had the win there, but Locke did not panic or whatever. He, he located the hands, got his hand in between the tight end's hands and broke with the pass. That was great. And the other one, he came down from his high safety position and knocked the ball out with helmet on ball. I mean, just, just excellent game all around. Then when you factor in that he played what 360 snaps on special teams last year, yep. like I, I don't know if he's not on the Broncos, he's going to be on someone else's uh, team next year. He's not going to be on the practice squad this year for sure. I think I think he's kind of shown that. But I thought he he stood out. 
Uh, I was watching a lot of the trenches because we don't have all 22 on preseason, so you can watch most of the trenches. I thought Andre Mintz looked really good uh, in the couple snaps he played. Um, Malik Reed, I think early in the game when he played, he looked really good, but I've always been a big Malik Reed guy. Um, Calvin Anderson, the tackle on the offensive side, super fun player. I, I'm not even going to say he's great or he's even good at this point, but like he does so many things like well that I'm okay with his kind of struggles and, and his limitations. Uh, he plays at 100 miles per hour. He's super, super, super aggressive. Uh, so I really liked how Calvin Anderson played. Um, and honestly, the, uh, the receiver group, I thought the receiver group really stood out. Uh, KJ Hamler obviously was great early in the game. And then <clears throat> Trinity Benson. Uh, Trinity Benson was was awesome throughout that entire game. So there was a lot. I mean, honestly, I, I could probably go down the whole roster. There's so many guys that stood out because – I mean, they just thrashed the Vikings, but uh, those are the guys who really popped. Um, I'm sure there's more. Uh, Justin Strand looked really fast from the linebacker group, but I think he needs to play a little more controlled. Uh, but he, his speed definitely popped. Uh, big skinny linebacker that was flying all over the place. So one of the ones I want to ask you about is Benson, just because in a similar mm-hmm. vein to in a similar vein to Locke, he's playing in a very loaded position group on the Broncos right now. Even after cuts, I want to say they have, and I'm not looking. I think they have 13 guys, 12 guys right now on the roster. And again, like before, you know, we don't know yet if Tim Patrick's going to get traded. I know that got floated. Benjamin Albright said that the Ravens called about it. The Ravens receiver core is bad enough that it could make sense for them to panic trade for a receiver. Mm -hmm. Um, But barring that four spots on the Broncos receiving core is already locked up with Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, KJ Hammer and Patrick. So that kind of leaves two. And as of right now, it looks like Deontay Spencer is kind of locked in because he's a return guy. And again, like, I, I don't know if you necessarily want to argue about that, but I kind of don't like the idea of giving a roster spot to a pure return guy in today's NFL. But, but that basically makes it really tough for the rest of these guys. To me, Benson, again, if he can kind of continues to look like he did, he's not going to be a guy you can slip onto the practice squad. Yeah. And I guess my big question would be to you because I'm still kind of getting acclimated to this Broncos team, I'm still watching a lot of the 2020 season to kind of get ready for this upcoming year is my two biggest questions when I have with bottom of the depth chart receivers. Yeah. Uh, was Benson on the team last year, first off, before I ask pra- these questions? Pra- he was practice squad the last two years. Okay. Uh, then one would be just, does, does he play every wide receiver position? Or is he just exclusively an X or exclusively a slaughter? Or does he play every wide receiver position? What I have seen is he plays some boundary, some inside. Um, okay. And then they were trying to get him in on special teams. Okay. Uh, last, I know. I, yeah, I know. I know. Last year he played more slot than he did in the Vikings game. In the Vikings game, he was playing mostly boundary, from what I could tell. Okay. That's um, good. And again, and That's again, good. like you, I might be wrong. So, like, if you've seen, you know, if I'm wrong on this, by all means, call. But like, what I noticed, it seemed like he was playing more boundary. Um, it did. Yeah. No, that's why I was asking because I thought from watching that game, I thought he was just a boundary guy. So that's why I was kind of asking if he plays a little slot as well. Um, because in the game, it seemed like they were trying to get Kendall Hinton in the slot as much as they mm-hmm. could. And then, and honestly, I think that's going to hurt Kendall Hinton because I have not seen Kendall Hinton play much outside. And again, haven't seen him in practice. So like maybe, and we don't see reports of where they're lined up because there's rules against it. So like, I don't blame reporters for that. The Broncos have a, have a rule for their media where you don't report personnel and some guys break it some, but there's certain, we, rules we have that as well with, with yeah. Colts is you can't report depth chart stuff unless the coaches say it after practice. Uh, so yeah, we have the same thing. Um, but yeah, so, but based on what I know, it seemed like Benson was playing on the boundary in part because Benson or because uh, Hinton was inside. 
Gotcha. Uh, gotcha. But, but yeah, last year and I want to, and again, this was a different coordinator, but in 2019, he was playing a good bit of slot. Um, That's good. Yeah. That's and, good. and and then I thought the fact that they were trying to get him on special teams probably helped him. Um, I thought he had a nice return. Hinton actually cost him a return because he had that holding call. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like I, I, I've looked at the routes that he's run and I just like his footwork a lot. And I, and then you look at the other receivers in that group and I don't know how much you've watched them yet, but Brandon Mack is still on the roster. I'm not trying to hate on the guy, but he can't separate. Like he couldn't separate at all. He's also a rookie. So like, I, you know, can't kill him for it, but, but then Deontay Spencer, his catch radius is so small that like, he doesn't really give you anything on offense. Um, Seth Williams is kind of a year away in terms of his route running. Maybe like he's a decent athlete. He had a really nice catch where Brett Rippon kind of laid him out, but not a separator. And again, like you, I think you and I agree on this. We've talked about this before. Like separation is like what you really need from a receiver. Like that's the thing that consistently shows up. Yeah. And when it comes to Benson, again, from what I saw in the Vikings game and from what you were telling me that he can play kind of any spot. I mean, when you're looking at bottom of the roster guy, a guy who can be a backup to any spot, has good route running, good separation, good hands. I just think that makes a lot of sense to kind of have as your wide receiver five. You know, uh, I'm kind of with you where Spencer's only attribute that he really brings is returnability. I don't really see a value in that. Uh, I, if he if he did other things on special teams as well, like if he was also like their gunner, then I'd be like, okay, I, I can understand that because that's a big thing that NFL teams, you know, they, they love to have. Like the Colts have a guy, Ashton Doolin, who's been the last two years, he's been their gunner at, six, at their six wide receiver spot. And fans always get upset about it, but it's like that coaches need that. They need, they, you know, they need special teamers to bomb the roster. So if they're trying to get Ben Stone special teams, he can do every single position and he's had a great camp so far. I, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't have him at wide receiver five, but I know that there's so much more that goes into it behind the scenes. And uh, I'm with you. I think he'll end up somewhere uh, maybe at the bottom of some roster. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of bad wide receiver groups around the league. So I could definitely see him being picked up by somebody uh, league wide after seeing how good of his camp in that preseason game he just had uh, this past week. And as far as the gunner goes, and we'll probably get to this and, you know, what we're looking for against the Seahawks, the guy to me that might end up being like a sneaky addition that Broncos fans will probably get mad about is Tyree Cleveland because he is, he's the gunner. He got drafted in the sixth round last year to basically be a special teamer. Mm-hmm. He's had, by all reports, I've you know everyone I've talked to, he's had a pretty bad camp as a receiver, just because he hasn't really held onto the ball. Um, he's not really doing a great job of separating as a receiver, even though he's a really good athlete. Um, but yeah. when you go back and watch his, his tape against the Vikings, they were using him a lot and like a nasty split as a blocker. They gave him an end around, so like they're trying to find ways to make him stick. Is what I saw. Um, but I but again, Deontay Spencer makes this math like really weird because you're probably not carrying seven receivers. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's interesting. Uh, that's tough. Cause yeah, they have a real, they have a ton of guys they do. for those last spots. And uh, especially when you have four spots already kind of locked up. Yeah. And that's, and again, that's might be one of those reasons why Tim Patrick may or may not get phased out. But um, as far as Kelvin Anderson, you went back and watched last year's tape to see him. And I think you and I disagree a little bit on him, which is, mm-hmm. I think, and again, I think this is a, you know, I could be wrong. Like I, I may need to go back and watch him again because I thought last year he didn't have enough. Like I thought he was having problems with bull rush and you, you attributed that to being stiff. Yeah. I thought it had more to do with his play strength. And again, based on what I saw in the Vikings game, he didn't really have issues with his strength so much as like, I still felt like he had issues if a guy was to come right at him. Yeah. But, but I need, I need to, I need to get the all 22 to watch it as part yeah. of it. Yeah, I think he's I think he's very stiff. I think he's 
like, and this is me saying, like, I love aggressive sets and pass protection. I love aggressive offensive linemen. He's way too aggressive. Like, it's the first guy he sees, he's going to throw his whole body at them, which you can't really do. You have to be a little more controlled than that. Uh, so I think he's way too aggressive. I think he's he's um, stiff. And I think that does kind of lead to some issues with the bull rushes and lead to some power issues because he just really can't get that torque or that that anchor really down when he has to. But I think he has good hands and heavy hands. So I, I don't think he's like a, a weak player with bad play strength. I just think it's it, it definitely shows up one-on-one because he's kind of stiff and he doesn't have that anchor that, that you would kind of uh, hope for of a player. But, yeah, I, I think he's very limited. But when you're looking at swing tackles league-wide uh, and, and you look at a player like him who's going to give 100%, he's going to pop guys, he's going to uh, – you know, he's going to move guys in the run game, especially on combo blocks. Uh, and he can actually hold up in pass protection for the most part. I think when you when you look at swing tackles, I think he's one of the better ones in the league just from what I've seen. Um, I, I really enjoyed watching him in the Vikings game. And I enjoyed going back and watching those two games, even though there were struggles for sure. And one of the things that's really interesting with the tackle situation with Denver, and again, this is one of those things I think we will probably both look at for this game coming up, mm-hmm. is the fact that the Broncos have Bobby Massey and supposedly he's in a competition with Kelvin Anderson and Cameron Fleming and Quinn Bailey. Quinn Bailey didn't really impress me in the Vikings game. I like he had a couple moments, but like I thought he struggled more than I would have expected if he was going to compete for a starting job. Um, Cameron Fleming just has disappointed me basically since they signed him. He's um, stiff. He's, he's so he's, he cannot move. <laughs> and, it, and if he, and if he mistimes the initial, like he'll, he'll, flare out and a guy goes inside and the guy's just flying by him yeah he he just it's so weird for a guy who's been in the league for as long as he has he's just so stiff and just struggles to move i don't know if injuries did that to him but i mean i don't think anderson's an elite athlete by any means but anderson looks so much faster and so yes. much more agile than him uh you know because they they played right after each other anderson played kind of the first half and Fleming kind of played that left tackle afterwards uh yeah i was not impressed at all by Fleming. No, Fleming's one of those guys that I think. So I, I was working on the numbers for this. Like I did a you know piece that came out actually the same time I think your prediction for the Colts came out. We both can't you know both came out. Oh, okay. cool. Uh, but like to me, Fleming is kind of on that bubble where I think he makes the roster because it costs a million dollars to cut him, and mm-hmm. because he has the utility to potentially help out four of the five spots if you need. But I don't think he's a guy you want to play. No, no. I mean, most backup linemen you don't want to play, except for Nathani Muti, apparently. I mean, he's the guy that everyone wants to play. But uh, for the most part, league-wide, you don't want to play backup offensive linemen, but especially him. <laughs> um, but the other reason I thought that helped Cameron Fleming is the fact you look at the other guys kind of in that battle. Um, Brett Jones is basically a center only. They played him at guard against the Vikings. I did not think he looked good at guard. He's, no, he's, yeah, he's a center. He's, he's always at, been a center. Yeah, he's athletically limited. It hurts his ability to pull. Nolan Laufenberg's maybe a year away, maybe more, just because he's coming out of Air Force. Has not, you know, really passed. He hasn't worked in pass pro much at all. Um, Austin Schlotman's a guard and a center, so like I think that helps him. But at the same time, they have a lot of interior offensive linemen now, so it's he's not going to play tackle. Um, yeah, especially when Muti's a, a very good depth interior guy you know um and i think glasgow could play center if he had to right i think he's done that before so if there were an injury at guard glasgow could move to center and then you could put moody out there you know if if that happened and and again i don't know how much you were watching in the fourth quarter but like i thought drew himmelman i mean again he does not look like he's ready for this year 
is one no. of those guys that you might try and stash on the practice squad and hope that Munchak can kind of like coach up. But I don't think he's going to be a guy that makes the active roster because I don't think he's going to look so good that somebody's going to try and steal him. Yeah, yeah. And he's a freak athlete, a great work ethic. I, I really like Hillman, but yeah, he's not a he's not a 53-man roster guy. And I think the Broncos and I think the league, I don't think anybody in the league would really grab him because uh, if you put him on your 53-man roster, you have to be ready for him to play if, he, you know, if, if it comes down to it. And I don't think he's even close to that. Uh, depending on what the Broncos think of Fleming, like, and, and I, I, I struggled with this when I did my prediction, I actually was thinking about like, would the Broncos carry as few as eight linemen? And I don't think they will because there's too many benefits to carrying an extra one now. But if they don't like Fleming, I don't, I think they're going to try and add an offensive lineman from somewhere else. Maybe just because, and yeah. again, I know everyone's doing this. Like everyone kind of needs linemen. It's probably one of the hardest position groups to fill. But it's just like the Broncos essentially have eight offensive linemen you feel okay about, and then they have a lot of guys that are not ready. Yeah, you know, Fleming for kind of what we were just saying about him, like you said, it does kind of add that that bonus that he can play across the offensive line. Uh, and you can do much worse with your ninth offensive lineman. I'm, I'm not a fan of him at all. I don't want him playing, but most ninth offensive linemen are awful league-wide, especially if they're tackles. So a guy who at least has experience as your ninth guy – you know, it could be worse. So I, I could see them keeping nine. Personally, I'm always of the opinion where, you know, if there's eight guys that should make a roster, you keep the eight and then you kind of figure out from there. But but I, I would completely understand if they kept nine, they kept Fleming as that ninth guy. Yeah. So I'm not crazy anyway. That, that feels – Yeah. Well, that, that, that was kind of the ra- – your rationale is exactly kind of what I went through. It was like it costs a million dollars to cut him. He's not the worst guy in the world. Like I've, I've seen – I mean, I again, I watched Elijah Wilkinson. Yeah, I watched. I did this last year with the Colts. Actually, the Colts I predicted uh, eight guys making it for the offensive line, even though I knew they're going to keep nine. Uh, I just didn't see Chaz Green as a rosterable player in the NFL, and he ended up making the team and played a couple games last year. So it's just, you know, I can see either way with it. Uh, and it's one of those, and again, like to your point, it's one of those position groups where basically, like, we made like the, there's that joke with like George Payton saying that a franchise corner is more valuable than a quarterback, <laughs> and yeah. again, like. I disagree vehemently with that, but like I would say that cornerback and tackle are the two hardest position groups to find talent at that isn't quarterback. Well, the Broncos have done good at finding talent at corner. I will tell them, I will say that their cornerback talent. I'm like, man, can we send some of that to Indy because Indy's kind of struggling right there in that regard. But I mean, when you when you look at the Broncos, when you got four guys that you feel really good throwing out there. And then a fifth guy who played some snaps last year definitely struggled, but he's a young player that is interesting as well in Ojemudia. I mean, that's a really good cornerback group, man. That's a really good group. Would you trade Bryce Callahan? Like, like obviously from the Colts perspective, you'd probably be happy to <laughs> trade for him. But from the Broncos perspective, uh, because Peyton said, I want to say it was during the week of uh, the Vikings week, like when they were in Minnesota, he, he mentioned kind of like at the presser that teams are already calling him about the DBs. And the first thing that comes to mind is like, they're not trade. You can't trade uh fuller. Can't trade Darby. Like contracts won't, aren't going to allow it. Can't trade certain, obviously. Yeah. You're not going <laughs> to trade him. And so like, it kind of, kind of rules you down to like teams are not probably calling about like PJ Locke yet. It's um, probably either Kareem Jackson or Bryce Callahan is who, yeah. who are the two, but like, I guess it just depends on where you view your team at. You know, if, if you view this as a, we're going to wait and see what we have. We don't think we're really a playoff team at all this year. Which it's a hard sell to fans. So I, I don't know how you would sell that as a first year GM or 
Is Patton in his first year or second year? First. First year, right? First year, yeah. So it's hard to sell that as a first-year GM. But if you really do see it as, like, we're a young team just seeing what we got with our roster, yeah, I, I would trade one or both of those guys. But if you want to be competitive and you want to get the best guys on the field, you got to keep both those guys because they are the better players at those. I mean, Bryce Callahan's a really good player. Uh, Kareem Jackson, as much as I love the backup safeties, and I would honestly probably consider – trading Kareem Jackson before Bryce Callahan, just because I like Caden Stearns and I don't want to see Caden Stearns out there. But um, I, I, I don't really see the benefit unless you're getting someone desperate and like offering like a third round pick for Bryce Callahan or something like that. Then I'd be like, okay, sure. You know, I'll take that. You got to prioritize the future. But um, unless it's something like that, I, I don't really see the benefit in trading those guys away. I mean, they're valuable veterans that are your better players at those positions. So on a similar note, do you feel kind of like, and I, again, I think I know where you're at with this because I think you and I have talked about this some, but like you're kind of in a similar boat with like Graham Glasgow because yeah, the, yeah. the local media kind of like wherever, and fans are at this point too, or basically we all love Natani Mute. We all want him to play. I don't, based on what I've seen, again, I have not seen Dalton Reisner yet because he didn't play against the Vikings, but like if Dalton Reisner is as good as he was last year, and I'm not even saying he was a world beater last year, but I still think he's better right now than what I saw from Natani Muti. And if you're trying yeah. to win, you want your best five. Yeah, and, and Muti's awesome. And I think he's going to be a good starter down the line. And, you know, whether it be for Glasgow in the next couple of years or or for Risner at, at, you know, next couple of years as well, or even this year, who knows? Um, I, I wouldn't make a trade, again, unless you really get a good offer. I just don't see the point, in tra- especially Glasgow. I don't see the point in trading him away at all. When you have a young quarterback, like you're trying to evaluate who your quarterback is, why trade away your second best pass protector uh, on your offensive line? I mean, Glasgow was very, very solid last year as a pass blocker. Uh, yeah, he's like like we were kind of talking about in, in DMs and stuff yesterday. Uh, sure, he, he's a little bit limited in the run game. He's not going to overpower guys. He's not going to get out in space and be this elite athlete, but – in the past game, it's it's invaluable what he brings. I mean, he's very, very solid. He's very nuanced. He's got that veteran savvy. Uh, I, yeah, I don't see the point trading him away, uh, Risner, in, unless you're really giving up on him, trade him away. But Mutu will have his time to shine in the future, uh, but I would prefer to keep both those guys starting. And one of the other unsung parts to this, and again, I know you appreciate this with Glasgow, though, is him at right guard gives you some degree of stability on that right side, depending on what mm-hmm. ended up happens. Cause again, like Massey, I thought Massey looked pretty okay against the Vikings. I, yeah, I, I like that. Massey's like, fine. As long as he's healthy and as that's, long as he's healthy, he'll be okay. But that's the big question. And the thing is, yeah. if he ends up going down, you have Anderson and then next to him, you have Cushenberry on the other side. So Glasgow's kind of like the one veteran presence between those guys that might give you some degree of stability in pass pro on slides that way. Yeah. And I kind of, yeah. I don't see why you'd give up on that just because of upside. Yeah, like Muti's fine, right? And but <laughs> throwing out a first-year player in between what could be two disasters—that that's not going to go well for your young quarterback that you're trying to develop. Uh, if if you end up going with Flock, obviously, but uh, yeah, you want to have the veteran in Glasgow, and and there's some, there's something to be said about a an average guard or an average offensive lineman in this league. I mean, we we talk about it all the time. I mean, not just you and me, but like everyone where. I feel like league average for other positions isn't as valuable as league average for offensive linemen. Uh, you need to have at the very, you know, league average guys at the very least on your offensive line, or you're going to struggle. And, and, you know, even if there are occasional bad plays or missteps or something like that, you'd rather have that, that because the alternative is, you know, 
Muti could be awful. And then you're stuck with a whole center to right tackle just being bad, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think part of it is, and again, like cat, like people who don't spend as much time as you and I do really obsessing about this, probably don't think about this as much like the offensive line and DBs it's their floor positions. So it's like your weakest Mm -hmm. link really does define the group because the other team is going to attack that weakest link as much as they can. And so if it's, if you have a really bad right side, like teams are not going to stop sending pressure at it. Yeah. And like, it's like with the Colts, uh, Colts have one of the best offensive lines in, in the entire league, but the right guard is Mark Lewinsky. Perfectly fine guard. He's very solid. Fans hate him because he's the worst of the five, and they all want him cut and think he's awful, but he's given up like, I think like six sacks the last two years or something like that. Like he, he's a very good right guard. It, they're very, like he's good, like not very good, but he's a good right guard. Uh, and that's so valuable. I mean, even if you have a top group, your, your weakest link has to be solid or it's going to crumble, you know, and and especially when you have a group like the Broncos where it's like, yeah, you know, your left tackle had a great year last year, very solid year. Um, but there's a lot of question marks across the line. You're going to want that veteran who's who's at least league average to kind of solidify things up there. And, and I think Glasgow just is too valuable to trade in, unless you get, again, a, a great offer, which I don't think that's going to happen. Same. So, so kind of moving from there, what are the things that you're really looking for in this next game based on like what, you know, and kind of where you think things are heading for the Broncos. Obviously I think you and I are both looking at the quarterback situation. Yeah. Kind of want to see that. Um, we didn't talk too much about Bridgewater. I thought he was fine. I, again, I think that the, the complaint about him being too conservative in this last game was apt. I think there was a couple of plays where he could have gone farther downfield with his throws. There, there was one that stood out. It was on a play action rollout. Yep. He dumped it down to a tight end when, when I think it was Trinity Benson actually right behind him yep. uh, about 15 yards behind like uncovered completely. Like he could have just been a easy completion down the field and Bridgewater took the, the flat pass for like two or three yards. And that's just what Teddy Bridgewater is. That's just, that's Teddy Bridgewater. There was also the, the play like after the holding penalty, I think it was a holding penalty he gated it after he scrambled, like they're in the mm-hmm. red zone. All of a sudden it was like third, I want to say it was like third and 16, third and long. And he dumped it down to Rice Freeman. If yep. you look right yep. behind Freeman, there was a receiver running a curl, like a hang route. <laughs> and I was like, why Why did you look at Freeman when you're looking right behind him? You have like another five yards. And again, like you weren't going to get the first, but take, you know, take the extra yards. But so I, I, again, I get the complaints about Bridgewater. I'm not, you know, I'm not out here saying like he's a world beater either, but I, no. but obviously like, yeah, I'm watching to see if Locke's accuracy kind of holds up because that is the big question about him. Yeah. Uh, any, is there anything else kind of standing out to you that you're really looking for? Honestly, I just want all my favorite players to play well and the players I don't like to play. Put- no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just, I, you know, I want to see if guys who I thought stood out in that first game, if they can kind of build off of that performance. Because so much about preseason and offseason work is stacking good days. That's something that we always hear from coaches. Uh, at least that's what I always hear covering the Colts is stacking good days on top of each other. So can these roster, like these fringe roster guys, like, like PJ Law, Calvin Anderson, can they stack good days together and good games together and really make their case for the roster? So I really want to see that. I want to keep seeing the offensive line and see how they play uh, because I think that's like like what you were saying with Bobby Massey. I want to see if he can have another solid game and solidify the right tackle spot. Um, Muti have obviously. I want to see Nathaniel Muti have a good game as well. Just sure up that depth. Um, and I want to see the receivers again. I want to see Trinity Benson and see who can kind of emerge more from that receiver group. Because like you said, you know, it's 12, 13 guys deep. 
Uh, we know what we have at the very top, but behind that, you still want to see more clarity. So if Trady Benson comes out and explodes for another, you know, two two touchdown game or a hundred yard game or something, then I think you get a much clearer picture going forward. Uh, but if he comes out and has an awful game and and Seth Williams, you know, lights it up or or Tyree Cleveland lights it up somehow, you know, it 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 really could muddy some things. So I want to see some more clarity there, see so can stand out. Um, but yeah, besides that, just kind of watching these these fringe roster battles, like like I said at the top of the show, I, people will focus on quarterback battles. I'll focus on the fourth or fifth safety battle, or the sixth cornerback battle, or the you know the special teams battle at bottom of the roster at receiver. I love watching those positions. I'm really bummed that Mintz got hurt, just because I thought that essentially Jonathan Cooper and Mintz were the two edge four candidates at this point. Um, I know Derek Tuska; he got a sack on Garrett Bowles in practice last week. But like when I watched the Vikings game, and I've watched you know twice over, he's okay. Like again, like if he, he's one of those guys that if he ends up being your edge four, you're not mad about it. Mm-hmm. But he's not the guy you want to win that battle because I think the other two have shown more. Yeah, I still think. He, I- I loved his film coming out. I loved his athleticism, but I still think he's a guy that, you know, you want to have in your organization, you want to have him on the practice squad. You want to keep developing his, his moveset, his, his strength, his play strength and stuff like that, and really get him to a more confident level before he's your edge four. But especially when you have guys like Cooper and Mintz, who I think are clearly above him. Yeah. Uh, and then kind of like for me, and I know this is really kind of, again, to your point, looking at, you know, six, I am really interested to see uh, how they use Andrew, Andrew Beck and Adam Prentice, just because Pat Shermer normally runs 11 personnel, like 60, 65% of the time last week with the Vikings, they were running a lot of heavy stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. And if they, and if they go that heavy, it could, you could make the argument. It makes sense to carry Andrew Beck and Adam Prentice and then try and find, you know, a number somewhere else. But if, if they're actually going back to what Sherman normally does, one of them's going to make it, one of them won't. Andrew Beck has that tight end versatility, and he's played special teams quite a bit. Adam Prentice is a fullback only by body type. Um, I mean, I think if you had to play him at tight end, you could, you wouldn't be happy about it. But I think you could, you could feasibly make him play it. Um, but he has to do more on special teams. That's that's so big. I mean. That's the one thing that I don't feel like media guys really talk about enough when it comes to those bottom of the roster positions. You know, that's a big thing I'll keep bringing up when I talk PJ Locke or or Trini Benson or or uh, Beck here is you know special teams ability. I mean, it's not college. Your starters don't play special teams. You know, it, it's going to be like sure your some of your key reserve guys will play some special teams, but for the most part, those bottom of the roster guys, those guys who are like your last five actives on game day they're going to have to play special teams and play special teams at a, at a fairly high level if you want to be a successful football team. Uh, so that's, that's such a huge part. You know, if Beck is playing more special teams than Prentice, then then he's going to get that roster spot. Uh, and that's always a big thing. So, yeah, it, it's huge for these guys to show that out. And I always see people, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm as vehemently against kickers as as anyone can be. I don't like special teams. Like, I, I like some special – I don't like kicking or anything like that, but – I always see people say like, oh, why punting is the preseason, why kicking is preseason. I'm like, it's so much more valuable to see a guy go run down a punt and see how they can, how they are on punt coverage or how they are on punt blocking or, or anything like that than seeing, you know, how your 10th receiver blocks on a run play or something like that. You know, you, you want to see what can make them, how they can make that roster and a big part of that special teams for these guys. So um, there, there is value in that. That's actually probably the most valuable thing of the preseason is one is game, obviously gaining that chemistry with your offense and your defense, but 
uh, is, is showing which guys are going to stand out on special teams for you. Uh, so a guy like Beck could really make him some money and, and make a roster uh, with a good preseason on special teams. Uh it's, it's kind of comforting to know that the next time I complain about Brandon McManus's contract, <laughs> I, I will be in good company because it was a really unpopular opinion back when he got his extension. And again, like I'm not saying McManus is bad, but I am of the, like of the opinion that basically kickers are so fungible that giving like a $20 million contract to a kicker is just absurd because you can use that money for something else. Yeah. I think because you and I actually, we incorporate a lot of analytics. We're film guys, but we incorporate analytics into what we do, um, which everyone should do. I mean, I'm, I'll am i always say I'm film guy over, you know, especially when it comes to college football and stuff like that. Like, I'm always film guy over, like, those uh, market share stats or anything like that. You know, I'm never huge on that stuff. But unless it's Justin Tucker when it comes to kickers because he's just so, like, average-wise, he's so much better than every single kicker in, like, league history, honestly, at this point – you don't pay a kicker like they're kicker. I swear kicker might be. The, and I, I could honestly go on for days about kickers. I'm just, people always ask me why do you hate kickers so much? I just think that they take so much away from the game of football because you have guys, you know, these guys who are, it's an ultimate chess match. It's, it's, it's insane uh, ability and athletic ability. And then it comes down to some former soccer player forgetting how to do his position. It could cost your entire season, but um, you know, with how volatile kickers are, you really shouldn't pay one because I mean, we saw, what was it? Steven Goskowski like four years ago was one of the best kickers in football. One of the best kickers of all time. And now I don't think he even has a job. Like he's out of the league. <laughs> like it's, they're just so, so volatile. So yeah, I, I mean, McManus has always been pretty solid, but it's like, that's a big, big contract for a kicker. It is. Uh, so kind of, again, I know I'm keeping you. I got to ask there you one is. last thing. Do you think this Broncos roster? Well, actually, I got two now. Now that you said I'm good, so I got two. So, but first one, do you think this Broncos roster can make the playoffs? Yeah, they can for sure, especially with seven with seven teams that make it. Uh, AFC last year is kind of a tough example because uh, the seventh seed was an eleven and five team. Uh, so it's kind of tough to say that right now. Like, do I think the Broncos can get to eleven wins if everything goes right? I think they can. Um, but yeah, I think it is a play, it, it's a playoff roster with a question mark at quarterback. It, it's it's what it is, and and you could be the biggest Drew Lock fan ever and say Drew Lock is going to sh- prove the world wrong, but you could still say there's a question mark at quarterback. And and that's the thing, you know, great defense. I love their defense. Uh, edge rusher looks really good. Um, safeties look good. Corners look good. I think linebackers can be fine. Um, receivers pretty solid, especially at the top. I think line, the offensive line has the capability to be good. Running backs look fine. Everything's there. It's just that quarterback, um, and, and that's what's going to make or break it. Uh, so, yeah, depending on Drew Locke uh, or whoever starts at quarterback, uh, I could definitely see this team being a playoff team. They, they definitely have a playoff caliber roster uh, if you don't look at quarterback, even though that's the biggest thing. So then the last part of this is let's say they make it out of this season. They The quarterback situation still looks like the big question mark it does right now at the end of the year. No matter how, you know, however you want to imagine it, maybe Bridgewater steals the job, maybe Locke ends up with the job, it doesn't look great, you know, however. But let's say they go into next offseason needing a quarterback. How confident are you in next year's quarterback class based on what you know right now? I'm not confident the Broncos are going to have a high enough pick to get a quarterback I feel confident in. Um, I think Rattler is probably going to be the first overall pick. 
Uh, I like what I've seen out of his game, and I think he's very, very talented. He, you know, I think he just has everything that you would really look for of a number one overall pick or a future number one overall pick. Obviously, I'm projecting how he's going to play, but <clears throat> after that, Howell, Slovis, Wills, I, I just I, I don't see a franchise guy there with any of that. I see, and I, I don't want to. This isn't even supposed to be negative towards towards Drew Lock, but I see guys who could end up being like your block, you know, where it's like two years of inconsistent play and then you're going into your third year of, of a quarterback controversy. Um, there's some upside, there's some intriguing things. And, and, you know, people always say like, Oh, we could get a Zach Wilson or, or a, uh, who was the guy before Baker, M- Baker Mayfield or any of those type of guys who just come out of nowhere. It's like, okay, sure. Like there, there really could be one. Uh, but right now if there isn't, uh, there's one guy that I think, can be a franchise quarterback and he's going to go first overall. So, and Broncos are not going to have the first overall pick. Uh, they're even the worst case scenario. This, this defense is too good to where, especially with Fangio, Fangio coaching it, you know, you're not going to get the first overall pick. Uh, you have to be a complete train wreck all around to get that. So I, I think if, you know, if it comes down to it, where there's still a big question mark quarterback, unless there's some late risers or some guys who have great season, you're probably looking at looking at like the the veteran quarterback market. You know, obviously we all talk about Aaron Rodgers and stuff coming to the Broncos. That's probably your best option, you know. And and obviously there's worse options than Aaron Rodgers, but I'm saying you're probably putting all your chips on Aaron Rodgers uh, coming here, uh, or else it's going to be another mediocre or less than mediocre season. Cool. So not to end on a on the dour note, but I, I had to ask because I know that you and I, again you're you're a guy who's really big on the draft. So and. I've been on, on like kind of, and I don't want to say I'm in front of it, but I want to say, I've been saying basically this looks like the worst quarterback class since like 2013 to me. It's basically Rattler. And then you're hoping somebody comes together. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I know people try to hype up different guys. Like Howell has been hyped up for a couple of years and he's super talented. Uh, he, he could put it together. Like I, I'm, I would be shocked if he did. Uh, same with Wills. I think Wills has some traits. I know some people are putting him up there as like a top 10 quarter, a top 10 pick as of right now. I think if you watch his game, though, it's, it's not as great as what some media people are talking about. Uh, I don't see it with Slovis really at all. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't think it's atrocious, atrocious, but I like I think he'll have a lot of good backups or a lot of interesting guys who can kind of win with. But I don't see any real franchise guys outside of Rattler. And even Rattler, it's still a projection to see what he – like, you know, it's kind of projecting – a successful year coming up and then going to the draft the way the way i try to look at things as far as that goes is like i and again like i'm not trying to hate on any of the guys doing draft stuff but like i think a lot of people that are hyping up the quarterback class are saying yes these guys will go high in the draft i'm trying to look beyond the actual draft to say yes will they be successful might, will they yeah. actually be a guy that you're happy you drafted three years from now and i don't see it i again like guys can come forward we you know we have a year for them to kind of put it together but based on what I've seen, and I haven't watched everybody, but I've seen Strong, I've watched some Willis, I've watched a little bit of Slovis, I've seen a lot of Howell, and I've watched Rattler. I I like Rattler, um, but again, mm-hmm. like, unless he ends up having like a Justin Fields like baffling fall, I don't think he's getting out of the top five. So mm-hmm. I just don't think he's going to be in range for the Broncos, and the rest of the group makes me kind of nervous. Yeah, I, I'm intrigued by the group. At least I'm more intrigued than what I was with other awful quarterback classes, but like I don't see how it's really going to materialize is <laughs> kind of, and you know, I don't even want to say, I, you know, I was going to say that I was, I would have said that about this past draft class before the year, but I, 
was super high on Trey Lance and Justin Fields and obviously Trevor Lawrence. So maybe not that even. Well, uh, yeah, that's, they're, they're, well, they're just that, not the like top guys, you know, it's just, it's just Rattler and even Rattler isn't a, like, you know, like Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields were kind of the top guys for years. They were always going to be the top guys. You know, the way, the way, well, because again, one of the, and again, not to get bogged down in this, but one of the big rebuttals to what I had said and what you, you and I are saying is like, oh, well, we weren't sure of this last quarterback class when it was mm-hmm. coming up. But the thing is, we knew Trevor Lawrence, like similar to, like, I would say we knew Trevor Lawrence more than we knew Rattler right now. Yeah. We also, everyone was a lot higher on Justin Fields. Like, people forget that this time last year before the season started, people actually thought Justin Fields would pass Trevor Lawrence. Like, so, mm-hmm. not all. But some people were arguing that, and, and we all knew Trey Lance was. Gonna and we be all knew Trey pick. Lance because he didn't throw any picks, so everybody was high as can be on him. Yeah. So there was already three guys that people were very sure were going to make the first. Right now we have Rattler, and everybody else is like taking different flavors to say maybe. Yeah, we have Rattler, and then we get some Howell, and we get some Wills, but that's only because you need to have somebody else up there, and that that's really it. That's really it right now. So so hopefully they all turn it on. And or Drew Locke is so good that we're not even having this discussion. (laughs) Hopefully Drew Locke throws for 5,000 yards and all those quarterbacks over 5,000 yards. We just have an influx of of great quarterback talent. I would love to have the argument that you don't pay a quarterback because there's so many coming into the league. Yeah. That'd be fun. (laughs) They're like kickers where they they either have an amazing year or they just fall off a cliff and then you just bring in an undrafted free agent because you have so many good ones out there. Quarterback is easy now. It's like running back. Oh my gosh, it'd be so great if you could just grab like the Memphis, the col- like the Memphis college quarterback or whatever and undrafted free agency and he just throws for five thousand yards and you just like cut him the next year. That's my that's my Madden strategy. But let's do it. But guys, again, if you do not already follow Zach on Twitter, go do it. He is at Zach Hicks too. Uh the Zach is with an H. He is over at Sports Illustrated writing about the Colts. If you want to follow the Colts, go do that. He also breaks down the film for the Broncos, and again. His article on Drew Locke is the best Drew Locke article I have read in at least a year. So go do it. Go read it. Share it. Do the things. 